sons unleashed. G'day everyone, Robbie Turner's my name. Welcome back to Axons Unleashed. Hey, it's 2023. I remember if you guys have listened to the last episode of last year, was my lovely wife, Tamara, the general manager of the firm here, asking me 50 questions off off, off script, off leash, uh, about me turning 50. I hope you guys really enjoyed that. That was over a, a two-part series. Now we're going to kick into a couple and something a little bit different. We're going to start talking about people. So we're going to introduce you to more of the team. I know you guys have really been seeking that over the last little while. I know you love the behind the scenes stuff and get to know the fabric and the soul and the substance about who Axon is. So we're going to start bringing in some of the team members and specifically from a veteran point of view is like, what was basic training like? So uh, I know you guys have seen and, and heard my Robbie's uh, endeavor into, into Kapuka stories. And you probably have even seen and heard about what it was like when it went down the Duntroon. As I, was, as I was one of the instructors there. So uh, now we're going to give you guys an insight into like, what about Damo? What about James? What about Amana? What about Luke? Like, etc. All the veterans that work here in the business, what was their basic training like? And I go, what was it fucking like getting your head shaved? And were you crying back to your mum a week later going, get me the fuck out of here like I did? So uh, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to getting an insight. Now, you may hear a little chuckle in the background, and it gives me an absolute huge pleasure to introduce this fucking weapon, ocean-going, weapon, weapons-grade um, fellow we got here. Lukey Millwood, welcome to Axons Unleashed, mate. I know this has been a long time coming for you. I'll tell you, we'll, we'll pass on the story in a second, but you've been inside the Axon wire formerly with a shirt on um, since late last year, but we've done a whole lot of OJT. So uh, you've seen me do plenty of these, and this is your first time in front of the mic, mate. Welcome. Thanks, RT, mate. It's great to be here. <laughs> um, you stole the words out of my mouth, dude. Like, you know, it has been a long time coming. We've known that this was going to be the case for a long time, and it was always in our plan for me to, you know, end up on this side of the camera with you being able to support veterans you know uh, you know on their side of the camera so mate i can't say enough how grateful how happy i am how excited i am to be here and 2023 is going to be our year mate we've mm. you know we've got so much so much great stuff for our clients we've got so much great development for ourselves you know going through that process to make sure we're bringing our best to the table for our clients journey yeah so good um so in the name of making sure that people get to know who you are, yeah. obviously you and I have known each other for a long while, a while. but let's go back to, to before that even more. Where did you grow up and like, why is it that you even joined the military in the first place? Mate, I was a. Uh, I grew up in country New South Wales in Cowra, so um, most people refer to it as the centre of the universe. Everything else revolves around that. Uh, no, it's a small country town, mate. Um, so much like yourself, sort of ten thousand people. Um, you know, fluctuates when people die, people are born. That's a big impact on the town. Um, <laughs> And I was a cadet tragic. So, I, you know, my grandparents sort of, you know, they, they wanted me to have a little bit of discipline in my life because I was a little bit of a rat bag. And so they sort of dragged me along to a couple of cadet nights. How good's fucking being a rat bag when you're younger? <laughs> <laughs> For all those that knew me back in Port Period, mum and dad again, I know you're listening and watching. They're like, yes, you were a fucking rat bag. <laughs> Please, mate. Well, I think it creates the foundations of our character, right, as we go forward. And we, we've got those lessons learnt that we can pass on based on our fucking silly decisions. Uh, mate, so I, you know, I did some cadets. And, and saw you know saw that as an option and sort of flipped the coin between going and being a police officer or going in, into to being into the military. Um, I had some rather poor advice from a couple of my school mentors. The the career advisor at school sort of said, "Hey Luke, you've got the character that probably will suit a TAFE course. Don't try and go to the military, and specifically, don't try and go to Duntroon or, or Adfa." So you can imagine my response to that. Yeah, fucking watch go this. Fuck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> So, so why, did, why did he say that though? Because you are the quintessential bloke. 
yeah. from a army officer point of view. I think I think he just I think he saw that rat bag behavior that I was you know sort of yeah, those. Those short-sighted sort of, you know, mannerisms that I had when I was younger, focused on footy, focused on the gym, focused on, you know, sw- small town. You've still got those small town mentalities whilst mm. I was always striving for more. Mm. You're also in, you know, you're a big fish in a small pond. And so I think he just saw that as something that he thought would suit my character as opposed to being in a complex environment and having to solve those really complex problems, you mm. know, that you go through in your military career. Do you think he um, has observed your journey? Oh, mate, I went back and told him. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's a yes then. Yeah. Good, good. And what what was his response? You're like, hey, fuck face. He was humbled. Yeah, he was humbled. <laughs> you know, I sort of went back. I've got some very, very close mentors that I owe a lot to that were school teachers of mine, um, and and they were two guys that that invested a lot of time in me, and I, I owe them a lot as well as other people along my journey, of course. Um, so I went back to the school to visit them as a little bit of a high five and a thank you, and sort of to show them that you know what they may have changed the life of one student. Uh, and I and you know subsequently in that I was still in that arrogant pig-headed state of well mm. I need to show this dickhead that I that I mm. also made it. <laughs> mm. You know what? Um, I too had some really great school teachers that mentored yeah. me in in many ways, and I'm I'm now sad that I hadn't had the opportunity not to go back and fly the flag in their face, yeah. but to go back and shake their hand and yeah. go, hey man, thank you, thanks so much for investing some time and showing a little belief in this rat bag back in the day. Yeah. They obviously saw something in me. Me joining the military, as you know, was never on my radar either. Literally, bloody got thrown in the back of the car with my, my late my late grandmother and my mum and we drove down to Adelaide for me to go and find a job. I found myself in the fucking in the re- re- recruiting office. Shaving your head. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that didn't happen straight yeah. up, but it was only about six weeks yeah. later I was at Kapuka. So, yeah, sometimes joining the military is not on our radar. Like, mm. I'd, did you used to play Cowboys and Indies and stuff when you were younger? Of course I did, mate. Yeah, right. I didn't, see? So this was never on my radar right. and, yeah, yeah. and even though my grandfather's both fought in World War Two, it was never spoken about and, you know, my... my um, dad and all my uncles missed the whole Vietnam sort of subscription yeah. thing. So there was like a generation generation missed in my life from a military point of view. But I'm, I'm really glad to know that you've sort of thought about joining the military for a long time. Yeah, I had, mate. And, and I guess one of the options that I, you know, one of the, the reasons that I looked at the military was because I knew that I wanted more than what was available to me in a small town. Um, I wanted more of the life challenges. I wanted more of those life experiences. And so the military just kind of fit that for me. It gave me the stability of, you know, employment, education, opportunity. You know, and we'll go into a bit more what that looks like, um, you know, in, in, in a couple of minutes. Uh, but it also gave me the option of not being in a small town, and that was that, that was sort of my near t- near goal, near target. Um, and so the, the the way I went through the process was I sort of you know almost threw my hand up in year ten to to join as a digger. I was really close. It was sort of like f- flipping a coin type stuff. Uh, and those two teachers convinced me to stay in. They said, you know, finish your HSC, Luke. Finish your education, your you know your, your initial education. It won't be a huge advantage to you if you if you have your HSC, but it'll be a huge disadvantage to you if you want to go down this path in the future to be able to achieve this. And so, you know, thankfully I, I was clever enough or influenced enough to be able mm. to listen to them at that point in time. I, I'd probably say you and I we do have very similar personalities yeah. and, a, and, a, and a similar vibe. And I bet there's a lot of people out there that didn't know that I completed my year 12 either. You yeah, know, right. So, you know, you do when you've um, – because when someone's just a rat bag and they're just yeah. having a bit of a play up and they're good at they're good at sport, you might not think, oh, he's just a buddy, just good at sport. He might not have the the, the brains, the, yeah. the, the brawn only. But yeah, when you when you when you've got this sort of energy and you're able to join it together with a decent ed- education, it can take you a reasonable 
amount of steps. As most of our audience will know, mate, it's yeah. a force multiplier. They'll yeah. know that they'll know that turn of phrase well. Mm. It, it value adds to who you are as a character and allows you to be able to lo- rely on those character traits in a much more succinct and much more powerful way to mm. achieve what you want to achieve. Wait, so you skipped the whole digger thing? I did. Which is I did. Good, good for you, but you, d- you did miss out on some on some formative years. And, oh. and yeah. I don't know if I would have survived as a digger, mate. Yeah, I think. Well. <laughs> yeah no, and um, and so I, I looked sort of down the officer path, and that was about that point in time where, where that- What year we're talking, just, uh, just for 2003. reference? 2003. Right. So we're, yeah, way back in 2003. So I was sort of looking around, poking around what it looked like and the options to, to join. So what the, you know, the mechanisms were to sort of have officer training school. And I, I was- Fairly hard and fast on going army. Like I thought that was definitely for me. I didn't think the navy or the or the air force were going to suit my character. Of course, that's no no slight or slant on you know on the navy or the air force. I just thought that my character type would be suited much better to go into the army. Yeah, I don't reckon you'd enjoy sitting in a sub, and you're probably your shoulders are a bit too big for an F eighteen seat. <laughs> so yeah, go, go army. You can. There's plenty of fucking room in the back of a lab for you though. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, mate. So I, after after that, I kind of I started doing it. Was a bit inquisitive, so jumped in, sort of had a look at it, and went through the officer selection board, um, and sort of you know I left my options open. I was waiting for my HSC results. That obviously is a you know a requirement for you to, to gain entry into ADFA, um, and so that was still up in the air whether I would get the right level of entry to, to you know the right UAEI to, to enter at yeah, ADFA. Cool. And so I had in the table to go to RMC or to go to to ADFA if that option became available. Lo and behold, I. Uh, I got in by one point. So on the line's in. On the line's in. It tried. Doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> Go to tried. the video ref. Your fucking <laughs> flag's up. Straight to the bunker. Boom. <laughs> so I uh, I packed up my shit and uh, and headed on a bus and uh, got, I found myself arriving in Canberra uh, at ADFA and started 2004. I don't genuinely know what happens when you get off the bus at ADFA. I, I know what people – I know what – Happens when I got off the bus at Kapuka, and then I used to get recruits off the bus at Kapuka. Obviously, I saw people get marched across the hill from Adfa to Duntroon and get off the bus at Duntroon. But what happens when you get off the bus at Adfa? It's much le- it's much less of a chaotic experience. Like there's much right. less yelling. There's much less of that approach of of you know capture and and or that that's applied to sort of you know that reshaping of of, of civilians into into army recruits. Because you go there to start your degree, so it's you like do. a military university. It like is. for those non-defense people, just sort of. Give it like a yeah. a one minute spiel on on what what how how would you explain Adfa to someone who's asking? So the campus is split essentially into two parts. So and it's tri service as well. So the campus split in two parts. One is the academic part, and the other part is the military part. So essentially, from an army perspective, that you go through that first six months of training that they would do in a condensed series. You do that over the three years of your degree there. So you right. split. So all of your living and, and accommodation is all very military and all sort of you know treated like a re- not a recruit but treated like a cadet. You know, lots and lots and lots and lots of dress inspections, lots of room inspections, lots of you know timings, lots of drill practice, that kind of stuff. Which kind of conflicts in my mind, you know, having that extreme discipline and that extreme kind of I don't want to say submissive because that's not the case, but you're obviously in defense where you are learning and you are you're applying that disciplined approach. Whereas over in the academic space they're asking you to open your mind and be liberal and question everything. And you know, <laughs> so there's that real clash of cultures that goes on while you're there as well. Mm, it would have given you a bit of whiplash. Like they are they yeah. are worlds apart. Yeah. Obviously a civilian has to go through the transition of having the discipline and having the teamwork and um, the punctuality. Yep organisation, attention to detail, those things that you were describing back there. 
But yeah, fucks, um, going through basic training in a six-month period over three years is a very elongated – like, you would have been a pain in the ass by the end of it. Well, it was, yeah. So and the, then I know it's not over because yeah, then you no, come over the hill. Yep. Yeah. So there, there was actually – there's a six-week period at the start called YOF, so the initial induction that you go through. Right. Um, it's it's fairly graduated, so it's not not like Kapuka where it's shock and awe. Um, I of course made my situation more difficult for myself than needed to be. I, I don't believe you. Thought I was a funny prick. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> on my first day, I was rocking up with my bags, mate, and uh, I saw my first sergeant. So my first, you know, sort of um, divisional sergeant. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's a great man. Glenn Armstrong is his name. If you're listening, Glenn, g'day. Uh, I still thank you for everything you taught us. That's nice. Um, he. He's about six foot three. He was about 135 kilos, arms covered in tats, uh, and this is me straight out of school. I walked up the stairs with my bags and thought I was going to be funny. I looked at him and said, oh, get fucked, I'm going home. <laughs> Turned around, <laughs> and he, of course, flew off the handle. Get that yeah, yeah, So yeah, I made yeah, it yeah. way more difficult for myself than I needed to be. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen him, you're like, fuck yeah. this, I'm out of here. He's a right. mountain of a man. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um. That's good, mate. And what what was your what were the sort of were you in a tri service environment as yeah. well, or did they have the army people over there doing army training, or was it literally a tri service induction for six weeks? So it was from memory. I think it was uh, it was broken. It, no, it was it was tri service induction for the first six weeks, and then you go off and do your single service training. So it's all about that inculcation of, of culture and understanding, and you know discipline and, and that sort of compre- over that compressed time frame. And then, as you said before, you know it then elongates out over the over the next three years yeah. um, of your time period there, where where you then focus and hone in on those specific skill sets and, and, you know, requirements for each of the services. One of the big benefits that I that we absolutely got out of ADFA was the network and understanding of what is available to us from a defence capability perspective. So, you know, going down the track, fast-forwarding sort of, you know, 10, 15 years after my time there, mm. I'm jumping ahead, um, but what it gave me was a network of connections and people that I could rely on to fill information and knowledge gaps based on a shared experience or personal engagement that I'd had with them way back at ADFA. You've still got that now. I I've do. seen you talk to clients who are is it in the Air Force or in the Navy. I'm like, you're like, actually, I've got a mate, I reckon, who's still in that because you've only been out less than a year. Yeah. So you're very contemporary. Yeah. So you've like that at that very senior 04 level. I know you've reached out to many people within that network that you've still got some 15, 16 years later to try and get a bit of an insight into how, trying to help some of our clients. Um, so it's, it's enduring and that'll never end. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Like it's, I am so grateful to still have those connections and I'll maintain them, of course, be, first and foremost because I care about those people and they're friends of mine, but also gives me an understanding of an ability to stay, you know, maintain our contemporary approach to, to the defence sphere because obviously yeah. it's an ever-changing beast. Every time the government changes, defence you know defence focus changes, and so us keeping our finger on the pulse will mean that we can relate back to our clients in a much better, much more detailed, much more succinct way for them. Awesome. My three years at Duntroon um, as an instructor there, I had very little contact with the cadets that first got off the bus yep. at ADFA. Did you get your head shaved when you first got yeah, there? Yeah, mate, of course. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. yeah, we yeah. Straight over. In fact, one of my mates, we all had our head shaved. That was pretty uneventful other than the fact that you have to shave your bloody head. But straight after that, we were all sitting in the rec room looking like a pile of Brussels sprouts. <laughs> and one of, one, of, one of my good friends, now good friends, came in and he was a surfy and he, he was actually joining the Navy. And he walked in and sort of looked around the room. He was late. 
and it had been organised that he was going to be late. He walked in and sort of looked around the room, had a laugh. <laughs> he said, what the fuck happened to you, like? <laughs> and then Glenn Armstrong, that mountain of a man, was standing behind him and grabbed him on the shoulder and said, you're coming with me, Follow mate. me, champ. Shaved yeah. all these locks off. He said he was heartbroken. He was <laughs> I bet he was. I bet he yeah. was. <laughs> um, that, was, that would have been male-female environment as well? No. Well, it was. Across the college uh, – sorry, across the academy, it was male and female. But my division specifically was just, just through the way the you know, sort of the cards fell on the, on the table. Right. It was all male, so we okay. were we were we referred to as a stag div, mm. um, and there was one other, but but the rest of the rest of the um, academy was was mixed. And how was that, mate? When you got to meet so many different guys across so many different so ages, backgrounds, cultures, upbringings, attitudes, and like yep. you're just fucking thrown into this blender, and you're like, you fuckers get on, like work out your bloody your team hierarchy, and like you know you're all at the same level, but you had those senior NCOs that were being your instructors and your mentors yep. along the way there, so. When did you sort of first work out that shit was starting to get real and there, you needed you needed to perform, otherwise you're going to be singled out real quick? Yeah, yeah. I, so my you know my, my approach to was is sort of during basic training stay stay in the middle. You know you want to stay in that middle ground so that you're not raising your head above the parapet. The old grey man. Stay grey. Stay as grey as you can. <laughs> no, as in you know not grey in terms of your performance, but you don't want to stick your head above the parapet as an arrogant prick, and you also don't want to be the guy or girl identified in the mm. back of the pack who's who's dragging. For me, it was probably when the real heavy PT session started to kick in for me. I was I was very physically fit and focused on on sort of achieving while I was there. Yep. Um, and that's sort of, you know, talking to a couple of our, our younger younger potential future clients, um, you know, asking for advice and guidance. And in fact, we've got one guy who's on his way to Kapuka today. I got goosebumps when he was messaging me yeah, on the bus. He's like, I'm on my way down. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the strong advice I gave them was, be, you know, be prepared for anything, of course, um, but also make sure you're physically fit because you don't want to be able to have a target painted on your back by, you know, by... Not, not performing in the physical space because that's often one of the first units of measure that staff mm-hmm. will use to identify your dedication and identify, you know, your, your, your grit. Yeah. What were some of the things that you found most challenging? For me, over the period of training, because it was a four-year period, yeah. it was just... Let's focus t- on the initial bit for oh, now. Oh, initial? Yeah, yeah. yeah no, not when you ran into me because yeah. I know that was hard <laughs> as well. <laughs> no, I'm just talking about right. the, the transition from CV to... to really knowing that you're got a uniform on now yeah. and shit's like you're operating your life at a higher level that uh, that higher level point like it's it's about you're operating on a clock everything was driven towards time to instill a sense of urgency in you mm. and so i went from someone who was at high school you know hanging out drinking beers with my mate to you know mm. getting getting you need to be here and you need to be here in the next 30 seconds or there's going to be trouble trouble yeah consequences and, yeah, for you be, and everyone else yeah yeah, and that was in the good old days where, you know, collective punishment was still, a, you know, it was a reward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, was there something that you found reasonably easy? Like, besides the physical bit, was there an element of the skills and um, other things that you were being taught at the technical level that you yeah. actually surprisingly found easy? Um, the academic, so even even the military, I don't mean academic in terms of the university yeah. side, but the like the learning, the rote learning and, and that kind of, you know, exposure to that new information. You know, things like rate or Weapons, field weapons, craft. All, yep. All, all that stuff, Found putting up a hoochie, yeah. bloody using the using the thread to open up yeah, your absolutely. bloody uh, your, your cheese and your veggie and stuff. Yeah, As, because I was a bit of a rough and tumble kid, mm. you know. Um, when we, when we got into the hands on stuff, I sort of thrived in that environment far less, you know, as in understanding that environment and, and, you know, using that information to be able to apply it in a field craft sense. So I kind of found that whilst I didn't particularly enjoy being outfield um, in the initial phases, you know, it, I found it rather easy. Because Canberra's climate is harsh. <laughs> the good, the bad, the ugly, it's fucking not real flash. You, 
you just brought me to a point that I'd forgotten and I'd, I'd suppressed You're until welcome. now. Thank you, RT. <laughs> my, first, uh, my first picket. My mm. first picket. So for those of you that don't know, a picket is when you, you know, you're you basically, you're standing guard, essentially. So you're out in a field position. You're, you're laying on your guts. You're, you're not standing your anywhere. You're laying on your guts. <laughs> you are, you've occupied a harbour. You've, so you're in a circle and you sort of identify, you know, the most likely enemy approach. And then someone lays up on, you know, in, in sort of, in a sequence, you, you get up for an hour or whatever it works out to be. To protect to everyone else while they're sleeping. Yeah. Yep. So that everyone else can have a, have a nod. My first picket was the coldest on record night in Canberra. Still ever. Oh, I, I Easily. don't know ever, but it was, Easily. Oh, it was the hardest like night. Like the hardest night I everyone ever gone to. I had <laughs> the least amount of sleep. Like, yeah, this uh, is like fucking um, put your helmets war, on. Warries 101. <laughs> Boom. I thought to myself, I don't know if these army things for me, they can get fucked. I'm not laying here in the cold for the next it's like fucked, four isn't years. It? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fuck, I don't miss that shit one little bit. Well, interestingly, was there was there anyone in your stag division there that like put his hand up and went, I'm fucking out of here? Like, yeah. Get, like, this, this is not what I thought was going to be? Yeah, man, we had like, I don't have the figures. Because it's not like a selection course yeah, where no. that's encouraged. Yep. That's unusual for that to be the case, and they've yeah. got to go through a board of studies and like look into it, make sure they're not injured. Are they psychologically still okay? But was there people that literally yep. put their hand up and like effectively rang the bell? Yeah, yeah, we had people ringing the bell the whole way through. So right mm. from right through the six week part, you know, we we did, you know, as you're going through that, you know, that norming, storming, performing type arrangement, you know, we had that of course, and you could identify those phases. And through those phases, we had we developed a really close relationship with those guys in the division, and, and that was very supportive. And so, you know. It wasn't a competition. Guys were looking to support each other and help each other out get through. But there were still guys that just said, "This is not for me." Like I've re- I've just quickly come to realise that this army thing is is absolutely not for me. And that was all the way through our training. Yeah. Apart from old Armstrong by name and Armstrong by nature, was there some <laughs> other was there some other instructors there that um, you were just in awe of as far as their their presentation, their dressing, their bearing, their communication style, their um, and you're just like whatever you want me to do, dude, I'm fucking, I'll look up to you and I, I can't wait to be like you one day. Like, oh, does that really rub off on you at all? It, RMC very much. Right. So there's a lot more when I, when I think about it. And I'm not saying and there's no, you know, no judgment spread on the, on the staff at, at ADFA. You get far less contact with the staff at ADFA, even though they're your direct staff, you get far less contact with them than what you do over, you know, when you go over the hill. Um, and so for me, it was far more about that drive, that focus, that leadership, that example and exemplar that the, the staff showed at Duntroon, moreover than, you know, because they're, they're, they're little, I don't want to use the word coddling, but they're looking after you in a sense because they've got to balance that. As academic. opposed to instructing you. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. They're balancing the academic with the, the military training. Yeah. Did you, let's, let's talk about the academic stuff for a little bit. Um, <laughs> did you find it, how did you find it? It's like if you were, exhausted from some tough PT or a couple of days out bush or whatever and then you're like basically got to switch your brain back on and go go into university mode yeah. how was that how are you how are you managing that rubbish yeah it was rubbish mate yeah. like it, um I guess it was because it was such a stark difference between the two that was the hardest thing to manage so like you know you're going from full-on military mindset full-on military brain where you're thinking about you know sort of end states you're thinking about mission sets you're thinking about those kinds of arrangements then you got to as i said before switch back over to an academic sort of mindset where you're opening to everything you're opening to argument you're opening to sort of you know discourse and and that that kind of arrangement so and you dress perfectly with your shiny shoes on belts on but you can be a little bit more ragged if you're in your camos yeah Yeah. 
exactly, exactly. Um, so you've still got, there's still always that military in there, even when mm. you're in the academic theatre, you know, like it was, if you don't show up to class, they'll charge you. you know, oh, fuck yeah. To a play, you of know, course. To a price parade. If you fall asleep in class, you're at least getting a couple of extras and they'll, yeah. you know, they'll likely charge you. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was, it was difficult. But not unmanageable, you know. There's been thousands and thousands of people that have managed to do it. Is it the optimum model? I don't know. Mm. I don't know if that's the optimum outcome. That it's we're a it's to a proven do, model, but it's a, exactly it doesn't mean it's optimal. Exactly, it's proven <laughs> and it works, and you know it inculcates people and onboards people over you know an extent a long period of time, um, and the outcome is they're getting the officers that that they want, and I can only assume that that is still the case. No doubt. How was it? Um, everyone say so Army, Navy, Air Force. The Army. Army guys and girls know that they're going to to, uh, to Duntroon, yeah. and, the, and then the Air Force and the Navy guys and girls go off to do something like is that at, year, at the end of year three. Yeah, correct. Yeah, correct. So sort of ex- and how's the how's the lead up to that, and how's the anticipation of that are going over the hill as you as you call it, as it's known. Yeah. Um, and then like, with the, with the Air Force and Navy people are like fuck that, see you, like you got another twelve months of this shit. Yeah. Well, mate, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example to t- sort of paint a picture of what it's like the relationship. Obviously, you know. They're your mates. You're going through this process with them. We have our end, our final graduation ceremony where we all graduate. We then go off and do our our dinner where we all celebrate and, of course, have a few sherbets. Um, at the end of that, so you you finish that up at probably four thirty in the morning on you know on the Saturday morning. At an early one. Yeah, yeah, early one. <laughs> you then you then up at six thirty to march yourself over the hill or be marched over the hill by the staff. It's a tradition, or I'm, I'm not sure if it's still the case, but it was a tradition in Adfa where the Navy and the Air Force would line the road, sit down on the side of the road with their bloody chairs millionaire and just clap us over. You fuckheads. They'd clap us <laughs> over. What have you done? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, it's, it's nerve-wracking, but it's also exciting. It's kind of that, that point of transition where you're not being whiplashed in terms of your thought process. Like, you're going over there to become a professional officer. Mm. Um, and army officer. An army officer. And... The advice that I got from another gentleman, um, Anthony Birch, who was my divisional officer for a while, yeah, Birch, mm. he, uh, you know, he said to me, "Mate, you're gonna fucking hate it. You're gonna hate every second of being at Duntroon, but you're gonna love what you come out as." Mm. So you, the end product after Duntroon, like you're being pushed through a sausage factory, another proven model that works, but the product that will come out at the end will be a different person that went in, and you'll have, you know, a real understanding of who you are as a character. You'll have a real understanding of characters around you and how to judge people through adversity and, and tough times, um, and you're also going to be able to rely on you're going to be confident in yourself and your ability based on the, the environment that you're going into which yeah. is absolutely you know critical as an officer um i had the the absolute pleasure of marching over the hill and going to um to collect said cadets and and uh and 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 uh bombardier turner came back out and it was fucking back in the shock and awe mode right i listen here yeah. you fucking squeezes yeah. the, the uh, the M in RMC means military. You're not at fucking university anymore. Oh. You're with me. Quick march, well, and away we go. The hairs on the back of my neck are standing up, mate. I'm getting, I'm getting shivers. <laughs> um, I can't remember whether I did that with you or not because I did it a few times over my three years there, and it's irrelevant. But did you feel a bit more of a shock? Did you know that you were entering into a professional military yeah. organisation now, not university? Yeah. Whilst that whilst that march over in, in and to itself, I was pretty focused on just staring at my boots because I was a little worse from wear after the function the night before. Fair enough, too. But, but having said that, having said that, the lead up to Duntroon, and it's like you know, there's butterflies, there's nerves. You are you are going into an environment where you are going to be measured. By your worth is going to be measured on your performance as an officer. Your you, ability to lead. Yeah, yeah, you are you are under the microscope, and we felt I felt that 
when I got there, I felt that sort of shift. Whereas you can kind of hide in the bleachers at, at Adfa a little bit because mm-hmm. because the you know the staff you know you got less contact. As soon as you're at as soon as you're at Duntroo, mate, everything you do, you fart and it's measured. Yeah, um, which is for good reason. It's mm. to make sure that soldiers. Sailor, you know, soldiers that are, you know outside are getting the leaders that they need, yeah. and so so it's an absolute you know prerequisite. It's known as Australia's premier leadership institution for a reason, absolutely. And the fucking standards there that we like because we had to go through our own almost say three or four week induction period as an instructor, yeah. which I found incredibly difficult because I didn't go through there as a cadet. Yeah. Everyone else is like, oh yeah, I'm just back here. I remember, and that was easy for me to go back to Kapuka as a recruit instructor. Obviously, rewind nine years I was there, you know, in the early 90s. But it was a very foreign place to me. Yeah. I didn't know where the RAP was. I didn't know where yeah. the admin centre was. Where was the Q store? And everyone's walking around going, what? what do you mean? You don't fucking know where it is. I'm like, I didn't come through here as a cadet champ. I'm a fucking senior NCO changeover. So it was a, it was a really, um, really enlightening experience for me as well. And I loved my time down at Duntroon. Even though as a junior and senior NCO, I ran into many officers that came out of the, the College of Knowledge, as it used to be yeah. called. And I'm like, how the fuck did this buffoon get through? <laughs> um, and sure, there's always a few people that slip through slip the cracks. Through, yeah. uh, but the level of scrutiny and the level of performance that I then had the knowledge and, and also implement myself, I was like, there's no fucking way anyone on my watch who's coming through this joint is going to fucking slip through the cracks. Yeah. and uh, Did I you think, feel that from yeah, the other instructors say, as well? I think you were pretty successful <laughs> Successful at that. You know, there were a couple of instructors that sort of ring true, you know, in the back of my mind that were that were of the same kind of approach, I felt, um, and really, really, you know, honed those those standards on us um, and held us to account, you know, if we – because it's the whole that, thing is that's, – That's the real world. Exactly. Yeah. The whole thing about it is being accountable, right? And and that you know that accountability placed on your actions. It's not necessarily whether you go through and fuck up. Like I'm sure there'll be ramifications if you fuck up. But the whole thing about Duntroon is accountability. And I felt like we absolutely got that from the instructors that we were there that were there with us, mm. taking us through. Was that real understanding of how important it is to be honest and how important it is to be accountable for your actions and owning your actions. So, so we're talking 2007 now. Yeah, 2007. So yeah. so 2004, five, and six were. My my years at Adfa, yep. and then and then over the hill in January um, two thousand and seven, and twelve months, yep. twelve months over there. So just for context for everyone else, um, Duntroon's also got three separate classes. They go yeah. for six months, so there's eighteen months worth of training at Duntroon, but the advocates skip third class and Correct. they go straight into second class. Correct. So all that other basic training, learning how to do all the all the cam cream drill marching uniform make your bed all that other transition stuff is done and you roll straight into second class where it is a it's still a healthy combination of classroom physical training and practical application stuff but it's not in a university environment it's more of a you know, let's go learn shit in a classroom and apply it straight away. Absolutely. You stole the words out of my mouth. It's the application of that knowledge immediately after to reinforce that learning. Um, and, you know, and there's – because you're learning over a six-month period with, you know, set requirements and set outcomes, um, you know, there are opportunities to reinforce, reinforce, reinforce. And they, they build on those, those you know, basic sort of skill sets, skill levels that you had by, you know, applying a, a more – slightly more complex problem set every mm. every sort of, you know, couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, it's interesting as I'm now starting – to sort of reflect on my time down there as well and people are like oh i remember you you were down there like i'm like fuck bro it's like you're one of 600 people down yeah. there at any one time and unless yeah. someone stands out and they've got a real character to them it's just bloody hard to try and remember everyone it, even even when i was an oc at that, uh, on two commandos like 750 people are there it's like it's fucking impossible to know everybody can, but can when I you're s- like 
one of the top seven, seven or eight people there. Everyone knows who you are. Yeah, of course. That was what I was about to say. It's, <laughs> it might be difficult for you to remember all of the cadets. Sure, not difficult for the cadets to remember a bloke when he comes in and says, when I'm wearing this hat here, ladies and gents, we're talking leadership. I should have brought it in for today, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so just let's do that for a second. So unless you guys, um, guys and girls that are listening right now, haven't realised, that's where Luke and I met Yeah, at Duntroon. So I, I don't remember the very first time, but in the same, same he's like, he just, he just, <laughs> I just dis- disappointed you then, didn't I? Um, no, not but, at all. Uh, but, you know, I'm sure you do, so yeah. I'd, I'd love to hear it as well. Well, mate, it was actually, the, my first introduction to RT, Robbie Turner, Captain Turner, was uh, you, from memory, mate, and please correct me if I'm wrong, and I want to be as accurate as possible, I think you'd just come back off rotation, right? So you you were as contemporary as you can possibly be. Yeah, I got back April 2006, yeah. and I did the last part of 2006 working, uh, working as the staff officer of the Commandant up there, yeah. just to broaden my career. And that yeah. was good for me to sort of observe how the college works from, from afar. But then, yeah, uh, start of 2007, I was sort of anointed as the inaugural um, SI of leadership wing yeah. by uh, SAS, <laughs> SAS bloody uh, CEO that was down there. He's like, right, RT, you're going you're gonna to do this certain activity for him and, and teach these teach these young fuckers how to lead. Because <laughs> it's interesting. Like the most important relationship that a, a young officer has is that with the senior NCO. Oh, absolutely. And – I mean, there was no other no other ex senior senior NCOs down there as one of the instructors, so I guess I had a unique position and viewpoint to come from. Yeah, that, absolutely, mate. Like I, I want to echo that as well. Is I'm jumping forward a little bit, but that that relationship that you have with your your senior NCOs is absolutely fucking critical to the success of a young officer. Whilst you're in charge and you do make the ultimate decisions, the captain's calls on what goes on. You know, you 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 need someone to have a dead reckon, a sounding board off to be able to make sure you're making those clear, logical, you know, sort of outcomes focused decisions. And one's one's unwillingness to do so will be at their peril. Fucking End of story. Fucking I was so yeah. fortunate. I had two two amazing um, sergeants. Uh, I worked in a couple of platoons, but two amazing sergeants who were, f- you know, fearless in, in being frank with their advice and guidance. So right. I was in the right context and it was always welcomed um, because I knew that at the heart of what they were doing was was sort of, you know, yeah. was for the betterment of everyone. It's like what it is here, mate. Exactly. Frank and fearless feedback comes as long as it's delivered from a place of care and yeah. the betterment of the organisation or the individual. Why the fuck, why wouldn't you be able to take that yeah, sort of thing? Um, yeah, here you go. I was just going to say, mate, back to, you know, I sort of, we, we sort of side side part of there, but so, um, you know, in terms of my introduction to RT, it was actually when you came in and were giving us the, the first spiel on leadership as the SI um, and introducing yourself. So that was at the first point that I met you. Um, and I think, you know, whilst we, you know, got to remember that the, the time period that it was occurring was 2007, so not everybody had been on rotation yet. It wasn't like those long, drawn-out conflicts that went Well, I just got back from SOTG rotation one. Exactly. Because that was, that was August 05 through to, yeah, February 06. And if Came back, had six weeks off, bang, fucking you're down and done true. Ladies and gents, that should paint a picture for you about sort of how early in the piece we're talking about when we're talking about the conflicts that we were sort of engaged with. Team yeah, No MRTF or nothing like that. Exactly. Like, that was fucking years down the track. Exactly, mate. So having, you know, having that sort of, it gave you that, whilst, you know, the credibility of standing up there, the rank on your chest in the military, it's one of the unique things about the military that gives you almost immediate credibility based on, you know, your rank, the rank structure that's applied over the top of it. But of course, when somebody comes back from overseas and they're talking to you about leadership and they're talking, being able to apply that to a real life example in combat or in conflict, whatever that looks like, um, you know, that kind of puts you in a position where you go, you know, holy shit, this bloke knows what he's talking about. And, and for us, that was an immediate level of respect that was applied to that. And it was, you know, of course, the respect was earned. 
Um, but that, that gave you the capacity to be able to really reach in and touch. There was no requirement for you to sort of have to build that bridge with us. It was just, it was already there. And so, you know, we, yeah, we, nice. Yeah. It's good to know. And, and no doubt, um, there were some other bloody absolute top gun guys Crackers. and girl captains down there. You would have seen a real step up in the instructor capability because at that second class level, you're not really talking the senior NCOs yeah. anymore. You're being led by captains. Correct. You're being led by military leaders already. Correct, mate. We, oh, it was, I, I often reflect on that and think, you know, for, for all its flaws and for all its errors that, you know, Dockham and Schema and those sorts of places get wrong, in my mind, one of the places that they get right is the selection of the candidates for leadership instructor, you know, for the, the leadership positions. Including Kapuka? Including Kapuka, absolutely. Mm. I think they, I think that is one of the areas where we do get it right. But it's not necessarily... We have to. Yes. You know, uh, um, Special Forces Training Centre now now known as something else that w- had to go through its own transition period um, as well because it was like, oh, I don't want to fucking go there. I want to bloody keep bloody rotating. But then it'd be those same guys that'd be whinging about the fucking the quality of, of the brios that are coming yeah, through. Absolutely. I'm like, well, you go down there and fucking train them then. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's yeah, that's put the money where the, your mouth is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's it's one of those things. And and I've I've coached a few Axon clients over the years that have gone to Duntroon or Kapuka and they're yeah. like, oh, not really sure what it's going to be like. I'm like, let me fucking tell you, you're going to love it. Yeah, yeah I, I loved both my postings down there. I was about to say, mate, like that, that for me is a really unique ability to relate to our clients from both a perspective of whilst you didn't go through Duntroon as a cadet, you went through there as an instructor and so you absolutely understand what are the requirements to come out of there. No one was shouting at you, you were shouting at people. <laughs> but but you've also got that contemporary you know, that experience of going through Kapuka, you know, getting shouted at. So you can really relate and to shouting. Them. And <laughs> going back and shouting yeah. a couple yeah. of years later. Yeah. yeah, but that that what a great perspective to be able to give to our to our clients and, you know, relate to them and understand and advice as well. Like, you know, that that young fellow that we're coaching or, you know, the future yeah. client that we've got um, you know, it was it was such a real pleasure to be able to speak to him about the experiences that he's going to go through. Yep, um, I know the story already. But what was the hardest? What was the hardest thing you had to do at Duntree? Oh, <laughs> get fucked, up. <laughs> <laughs> mate. What does that mean, <laughs> mate? Mate. So, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we going through. There is a real sort of gate that cadets have to jump through. It's it's one of those. It's actually the thing you fear most about going to RMC. It's this, you know, it's the horror story about going over. And the even hill. you knew you knew about it at. at it, it's even the the myths of this ring very true in Adfa. Oh, it, it echoes. It yeah. echoes through the generations in Adfa as well as you know over there. And and so it's it's uh, exercise Shaggy Ridge, which is obviously named after you know one of the one of the conflicts that we've had in the past in PNG. Um, and what it is, it's a it's a test of your character through sleep and food deprivation. Laid over the top of that is a military exercise where you're going through. So you're in a full tactical environment. Um, you've got all of the problem sets that you would go through in a normal exercise, some more complex in terms of thinking problems, some more physically demanding and the like. The kicker is you don't sleep and you don't eat and you don't know when you're going. And so as it's a... Silent running. And it's, it's com- silent. Complete ambiguous. You have no fucking idea whether you're going well, going terrible, whether... You know, other than the feedback you're getting directly from your, your colleagues, your, you know, the, the people that you're on the course with, like, you know, there's nothing from the instructors. And so you don't know right up until the last minute. Yeah, and past the last minute. So a week later, I think you find out whether you get an opportunity to go and do some retraining on starving yourself and, and you know, exhausting yourself again. It's one of those things you only want to do once. <laughs> oh, mate. <laughs> I think I lost about eight kilos, mate. Like, I think I, yeah. I genuinely, I and I, I say jokingly, but it was the best six-pack I've ever had in my life. <laughs> mm, gold. Literally, the, the CEO at the time, like I said, was an SAS guy. Yeah. Um, and he's like, RT, 
this fucking version of Shaggy Ridge that they've been running over the last few years needs improving. Yep. It was always very good and the, the legend the legend was being upheld there, but he's like, go fucking do yeah, what go optimize. basically go and put him through a little bloody commando, you know, um, SF and SF selection. So I was all right, sweet. And fucking I'll go I'll go do that go do that then. And so you did. And you did. I I I want to say I remember it with fondness, but it absolutely wasn't. Getting off the bus after about a week of pre-fatigue, so pre-fatigue being battle PT, change change into your you know your, your classroom clobber, and then go back up to the classroom for a couple of hours and go back out and do some more PT. Um, that was to sort of get us in the position of being sort of exhausted and already tired, and 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 you know getting us to that. So the start point wasn't actually the start point for us. It was you know, and I'm sure the rest of the classes to follow. And you don't know the end point. And you don't know the end point. So you don't know where the actual start point for the exercise it's is. It's hard to gauge how much effort, like am I at the halfway point? Do I need to just reserve a little bit? Yeah, like it's pretty cool. <laughs> exactly. I won't, unless you, you probably know this, I knew the end point. <laughs> <laughs> That's helpful to know now, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I planned the whole fucking thing. <laughs> Dude, and he was a savage. He was a savage. We'd been through sort of six and a half days of really, really intense, you know, kind of testing. What was the weather like on that one? Can you remind hot me? Hot as fuck. Right. It was yeah. hot. Yeah. Uh, and we had the the container in the middle, the trunk that we had in the middle with water jerrys in it and sort of star pickets. That went everywhere with you. It went everywhere. It was out. Like it was everywhere. Uphills, downhills, into the water, everywhere, mate. Absolutely everywhere. Now I'm giggling in the background. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> we got to the end of the exercise and it was genuinely, and I say this, you know, with all true sentiment, it was the hardest thing I'd ever done in my entire life up until that point. You know, you're still full of piss and bravado, but it really, like, that washes away when you, you know, when you haven't slept for two or three days and you haven't eaten and you're being tested both mentally and physically and often, you know, alternate tests, you know, it's like go and carry a shitload of stuff up that hill with this scenario and then the next one is sort of like a dead reckoner, you know, problem set where you're naving and you don't know where you're going or what you're doing, you're counting paces and then working where you are. You know, so really different complex problem sets. Um, six and a half days of that with, with very, very little sleep, very, very little food. Um, you are washed back to your bare bones as a character. Um, you also get the opportunity and the privilege of seeing your colleagues wash back to the bare bones as well. And so That's the most important bit. It is. Yeah. It's a real – whilst you Leadership get Leadership and teamwork is what's all about. Abs- in, mm. in absolute adversity. Um, you get a real understanding of what re- the kind of resolve that you have as a human being and what your body can do beyond what you think is capable. But also, you know, I'm not sure if everybody got this out of it, but I certainly – Certainly got the ability, I think, to see into the you know see into the souls of my peers when and their behaviours under adversity as well. Some people came up short, of course, and I'm sure I did in some areas as well. I'm certainly not going to stand here and say I, you know, John Ramboed it. Um, it was shit house, but but also you know that you also get to see those those people where you just see that someone has it in their guts. They just want it. They're never going to stop. They're never going to give up. And that's that's really inspiring to see in the mm. human nature. Human They're narrative. few and far between. The majority of people are in the middle or, do, you know, that's the whole fucking point. The point of the exercise is to find out where the self-awareness breaking point is. Yeah. So you make sure you don't ever get to that point when when shit's happening for real on the side of a hill in Afghanistan. Absolutely. And I know I used to say it all the time, like with, in, when you guys get deployed like I just did, little did I know that there was going to be a ra- years and years and years of deployments thereafter. Yeah. I've run into so many other people that used to sit there that have, I've since caught up with, you and others, they're like, I never really realised what you were talking about when you were saying, you know, fucking listen to what I'm saying, this lesson that we're now putting forward because it's going to serve you well down the track. 
only when they're there, they're like, fuck, oh, I wish wow. I had to listen a little bit more. Yeah, oh, wow. I've And I've, I've also got a lot of mates that did a lot of rotations through Afghan and Iraq. Um, and those, you know, those those guys and girls, they took a lot out of their, their information package. For, and the, and the, applying that at the college, being tested under pressure, being tested under fatigue, it really does provide you with, you know, provide you with the types of experience, exposures, education, experience that you need um, coming out the back end. It's designed to be as hard as it possibly can because when you reach your breaking point, you can, like, put your arm up and, like, you can, you know, be managed a little bit there. Yeah. You just chuck back in again straight away, but the ambo's just down the road. Yep. Fucking have a Sally Man biscuit. You're fucking. You're about to fall over. Have an hour off and back. You bang it. You know. You yeah. back in. Yeah. There ain't no Sally Man biscuit, or there's no ambo in fucking <laughs> Afghanistan, and you, you become a liability very, very quickly. So that's yeah. if people are wondering, sitting there going, "Why was he so mean to fucking poor old Luke?" <laughs> like it's got a fucking purpose. I promise. <laughs> it uh, it made me a bit, honestly, you know, coming out of that place. Anthony Birch was right. Um, you know, coming out of the back end of that place, it made me more of the human that I wanted to be um putting me you know testing me testing my resolve understanding you know that that i am fallible and i can make mistakes but owning those mistakes is the most important thing it made me more of what i wanted to be as a human what was your most enjoyable part i'm really loving by the way of getting some real insights into you going through your basic training and knowing i was part of some of it what was some of the things you loved most about duntroon mate the, the 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 peer group that was established without without a without a shadow of a doubt. Like there was the, the self-discovery that I went through, which was super important to form part of who I am as an adult, part of who, who I am as a person. But it was without a doubt that peer group that I established there. Um, you know, you, you are you are in a situation of adversity and you're under constant pressure. And, you know, pressure does either, you know, it forms diamonds. Um, but I, I established... Or it breaks shit. Or it breaks shit. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it you know that peer group. It's still to this day very 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 strong with a with a very close group of group of friends of mine, um, whereby there's almost no life curveball that can be tossed at us without the rest of us sort of you know, you know being there to support each other. So that that for me is something that still rings true to this day is the absolute pinnacle for me. Do you know what I love most about Duntroon? The dining in nights. Oh mate! I used to be. <laughs> I think. I don't think there were. Once people got word that I fucking loved going to those things and just fucking turning into back to the rat bag again, and uh, and letting loose. And I know there was a bit of a poll there to go. Who wanted the fucking? Who wanted the host RT? Um, back in the day, but mate, I, I loved it. I, I love seeing that all the guys and girls fucking letting loose as well, and yeah. doing the kangaroo courts and all. Like you would have loved that camaraderie oh, part mate. of of that that network and that. Um, really deep relationships that you've now formed and they're, you know, they're, they're part of your ongoing mentoring group. Sure, you form those bonds when you're in the fucking depths of bloody Shaggy Ridge and someone's cooking a bloody barbecue for you that, you, <laughs> that you're never going to eat, etc. You guys can ask Luke about that story another time offline. But it's also the good times that you have as well and the yeah. sport you play and yeah. the camaraderie you get out of that. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Like those they, they make up core parts of being an officer. Like being able to you know, being able to maintain those networks outside of adversity as well and, and over long periods of time. But you've got to have fun. You've got to let your hair down. Like it's you know, you, it is so serious so much of the time for very good reason. You you're talking about training for war and training for conflict and training in multilateral environments, you know, it's it's a very serious business. But there also has to be an opportunity to be able to let your hair down as well and, and dining in nights are one of the ways in which you get an opportunity to do that and I would like to say that I took the most advantage of every opportunity that I had to yeah. 
to let my hair down. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Fuck me too. And then of course, um, graduations there. Like if you haven't been to a if you haven't been to a graduation parade at Duntroon, go do yourself a favor if you're down in Canberra. They're on every six months. And fucking go down there and like watch watch how the military really put on the celebration of welcoming the latest ninety odd yeah. body, you know, young lieutenants into into the into the, the army. And um, you know, how how was that? Like who who from your family come to have you know, come to see you and like what was that like, yeah. etc.? I have a brother there, um, my grandparents. So I grew up with my grandparents. Um, they were they were there to, to sort of, you know, celebrate with me and, and you know, clap me on and because it had been a long four years. And, you know, looking at, you know, when you if you do go go and watch one of those parades, ladies and gents, please, please take into consideration or please observe the emotion that is attached to something so large as graduating from either an 18-month or a four-year experience where you're being tested the whole time, where you don't know if you're going to make it to the end. There is a lot of emotion attached to that. And I, I still remember like I, I still genuinely remember the feeling in my stomach when we graduated and you know throwing that hat in the air was incredible incredible feeling um it was also a little bit nerve-wracking as well again because you like the training wheels are off mate yeah you, now you're all the way back to the start again yeah. you're, you're the newbie you are the new kid in the you know the new fish in the pond um but you're expected to be at a certain standard but but you know soldiers you know you've got by virtue of the fact that you're wearing a rank slide you know there is an expectation on you that you are a professional standard you know you are new exuding professional standard. how old are you now 20 22 23 okay yeah right. so still pretty fresh tell man. us about tell us about your first posting mate yeah first signals regiment um i went up there as a transport officer I flipped a coin at Duntroon. So it's in Brisbane? Yeah, up yep. in Brizzy. Um, so I flipped a coin at Duntroon and, and you, if you're going for a combat or a competitive corps, if you don't put that first, of course, you're not going to get it. Um, and I flipped a coin and, and transport came up and there a whole bunch of personal reasons why that sort of ended up, you know, transpiring the way that it was. But let's just say, you know, I was, I was very, very happy with, with going to transport and the opportunities it gave me. I looked at the long term. I was like, you know, no slide on any other trade selection corps you know, that, that people make in defence. But I looked at sort of, you know, what's going to serve me for the longevity of my life. Um, and I thought logistics was going to be a, an option for me available to provide scope and, you know, latitude in, down the track. Mm, and it certainly did. And it did. It absolutely did, mate. That's it the biggest issue that people that go to combat corps face. Like, I can't fucking do that in the real world. That's yep. all I know how to do. Yeah. What do I do now? Exactly. But that's not you went on a very different path. So yeah, yeah. let's talk yeah. about that for the last ten minutes. So mate, I jumped into jumped into my, my first position, which was the transport um, troop commander, and and that was my first relationship that I had with my sergeant. And he, you know, he, I still thank him to this day. I've got a great personal relationship with him. I love that. He's he's a, he was you know he was supportive. He was behind me one hundred percent of the way. And as you'd expect in any leadership team, like in the business, like in you know any leadership team in the military, um, you know. We would make a decision in the room and we would go out and it would be a unified decision. And we had the opportunity in there to sort of nug it out and what it looked like. But as soon as we walked out, out of there, whether I made a captain's call or whether he, you know, he was sort of, no boss, this is, you know, we really need to be considering this sort of stuff. Whatever whatever that decision was when we went out, it was, it was unified. It's always a test of loyalty, isn't it? It is. It's like, oh, I don't even want, want to fucking do it this way. Yeah. No, mate, we're fucking doing it that way. Know. The call's been made. Get on, <laughs> get on board. Get in the boat <laughs> yeah. and row. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> we're doing it. You're doing it. <laughs> See, I did that for a bit, um, and then and then uh, I kind of went on being being Luke Millwood and, and choosing my own path all the, all the time. I sort of, for, for own personal reasons, again, I selected to go down to Canberra as a lieutenant, and uh, 
and what was Danny Canberra? Uh, oh, my son. So mm. my, my my first son Slater. Great. Um, so I went back to to establish a relationship with him. Um, and what no fucking there's no no harm doing that, mate. That's no. a, that's a fantastic thing to do. It was it was a tough decision. I had both my OC and my CO sort of you know Luke, you're foregoing your formative years as an officer, and that you know to a, to a degree they're absolutely correct. And I think even though I was fairly simple a simple human at that time, I sort of thought about it, and I, you know I remember saying to my CO, so when you're laying on your deathbed, you're not going to remember working harder. You're going to remember the time that you spend with your family and the value you know that you you, you know apply to that. And so you know they they dock them again. They, they pulled a rabbit out of the hat for me, which was really unusual. Um, and they put me in a position in army headquarters. So I was the SO3 ceremonial for 12 months. Oh, beautiful, mate! I am the least ceremonious person on the face of the earth. Uh, hate drill, hate, hate uniform inspections, hate all that shit and ended up being in charge of, of the policy that, that sort of guides that stuff. Uh, did that for 12 months, but it really did give me an opportunity to start building my mentor base. And it was sort of, I started really seeing the value in having senior officers or, you know, senior person, people within your trade, within your specialty to sort of really start listening to g- getting guidance from and, and allowing them to influence the way that you think. Um, that was sort of a short-lived, you know, experiment. And then I went out to headquarters jock and I was, again, I was a, you know, I was a mid-junior captain going out to jock. So I was a little a little fish in a huge yeah. pond. SO3 um, coffee and SO3 yeah. spreadsheets. Yeah, no, so what was SO3, what did my boss call me? I think it was something like SO3 spreadsheets he yeah. called me when I went in there yeah. and I was like, oh, well, this is fucked. Yeah. What am I going to but, but, you know, in hindsight, and I often reflect on it, it gave me a really good understanding. And I actually related this to one of our clients that I was talking to last night. Um, the opportunity that it gave me was to see the larger scale strategic mindset approach to what we are doing. So the capabilities that we apply. As a junior officer, you don't get a real understanding of what we bring to bear. Especially not at the unit level. You don't. You absolutely don't. Like you sort you're of at fucking formation level exactly, now. Exactly. Exactly. And so you are really seeing it, you know, firsthand and you're seeing those professional level MAPs, which is a you know military appreciation process, which is your planning sort of for mission profiles. Um, you're really seeing that applied in the most professional standard at the highest level. Because you know, those people at the the higher level, O sixes and you know, sort of one size, you're seeing them apply their knowledge, skills, knowledge and experience to our, you know, to our planning model and you're really understanding the so what of what they want to get out of it. Because it's at that level where the so what matters, right? It's you know, government policy, it's government intent, it's strategic intent and strategic. If we do this, here's the fourth, fifth and sixth order effects as far. You're talking about international relationships, you're talking about all that sort of stuff. Mm. Yeah. So that that sort of Put me in a good position. I then got picked up to go back to um, 85 Transport Troop, which yep. was where I where I had my... Out at Ambly. Out at Ambly. Uh, I had my second relationship, close relationship with, with my sergeant. Um, again, same, same environment, mate. He was fucking stellar. He was just this superstar performer had had you know he had my back i had his back no matter what you know it was that really unified approach um to what we were doing um and and it was at that time where i you know started to started to sort of waver about, about my time in defense and sort of said okay it's been a, it's been a great journey but i think i'm sorting to starting to come to the end state for me and so that was about 2014 at this point um, in the weeds anyway yeah yeah just yeah doing that stuff well, well yeah. i'd actually i'd actually gone and, and sort of sat down and said you know, do I want to keep moving around for the rest of my life? Um, is it, do I want to be an OC? Do I want to be a CO? You know, like, I love working with soldiers. That's the, of course, that's the highlight of any officer. The higher you go up, the less you have of that. And that, that was my, that was my thought process, mate. Um, and I was, you know, how many times am I going to get to be with soldiers for the rest of my career? It might be four years. 
if I was only going to be an OC, it might only be two. Mm. And so, you know, you're talking about a 25, 30-year career and, and you're going, well, another two years mm. with soldiers? Even as, as an OC, you're talking to your troop commanders exactly. and, you, and they're, they're talking to the sergeant. Unless someone's in the shit <laughs> or, or doing very, very well <laughs> or you're at a social function or you're playing sport, you don't, as an OC, you don't really yeah. talk to the soldiers that exactly, much. Exactly, mate, exactly. Mm. Uh, and then so I ended up um, sort of getting a – sparked my interest into, into international engagement. And I guess this is a huge pivot point for my career where, you know, I'd done, done the training, done the logistics and stuff and then sort of started peeping behind the curtain of what international engagement meant. Um, and so subsequently went down to study Portuguese. I uh, did that for 12 months at the School of Languages. But you did that with the view of going to East Timor. I did. Right, yeah, so yeah. you need a sponsor to go down to Langs. So yep. you, don't, you didn't just pluck Portuguese out of no, your ass. No, 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 no. Yeah. I, I needed a sponsor uh, and I needed, a, you know, a, the intent. A reason and a purpose, yeah, yeah. the intent had to be there and I had to pl- apply it back to sort of, you know, what defence was going to get out of out of me going there and a capability development brick, um, you know, in and to itself. Of course, most of our listeners will know and you may have heard one of our podcasts before, my wife also happens to be Brazilian. So it kind of, uh, it's a, it was a... It was a du- of double benefit to me to be able to go down and, and learn that language. Uh, first and foremost was so I could hear her talking poorly about me to her mother. <laughs> and, and and her mother whinging and about mother. you to her, yes. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. My yes. lovely wife wouldn't do that. Uh, and then the other thing, of course, was to bring that capability for defence. And mm. so went down there and fully embraced it. Um, what was that like down at Langs? Amazing. Incredible. You got, super relaxed. Yep, super relaxed, mate. Like you go from... You go from None of this time pressure stuff. Nah. None Obviously, you need you, you you learn how to be punctual, professional, yep. and great great levels of dedication and teamwork. But the shackles are off. Shackles are off. You are just, it's you. Yeah. You're focused on your learning, your requirement, and it's not like a, you know in in the you know previous example I gave with Adfa. Adfa it's not like that where you kind of split between the two. Your sole responsibility there is to become a linguist. Um, so you know, the, I think the only other parade that they had was PT and and sort of the afternoon boozer parade as it was called before. Um, but that was an amazing experience, um, being able to genuinely, after eight months of, of studying a language, coming out with a level of competency that would allow me to thrive in the environment um, was, was pretty incredible. Mm. Yeah. I've heard you speak Portuguese a lot, and for someone who doesn't – I know how to speak left and Swahili after about 15 <laughs> beers, and some of you heard me uh, in full flight there. Others, others that haven't, I fucking hold on um, if you get that opportunity. But, yeah, it's a real uh, – it's an interesting experience to see you speak so fluently, and I'm, and then you just interchangeably go back to English, and it's it's fucking phenomenal to observe. It's it comes. I'm in awe of it. Yeah. I'm, like, this is how well I'm explaining it. I'm in awe. Let's just say that. I, you know, I, I guess my response to that would be I'm a kind of meat and three veg kind of guy. So if I can do it, I think you know at least most of our you know most of our audience would be able to do it as well. Just under that that environment of you know that really fostered environment of learning and doing and nothing else but that for eight months. Yeah, 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 cool. Yeah, so. so you went there, went to Timor, mate. Let's talk about that for a few oh, minutes. Mate. So I was uh, I'm, again, I really reinforced that that mentor that that mentorship, um, and I, I became very close friends with a colonel, um, and uh, he's he's. He's still a very close mentor of mine now. Even though he's out and he's moved overseas and that sort of stuff, I still connect with him sort of probably once a week and we, I sort of get advice and guidance um, off him quite regularly. He, he sort of saw the need and the, the, the capability gap that was occurring in, that, in the space that we were going into, so the Defence Corporation Program. Um, you know, so he saw that personnel management gap. He saw that logistics management gap that was in our organisation. So we were mentor, we're mentoring the, the Forza Falantil, which is uh, the, the military for, for Timor-Leste. Um, so, you know, he, he 
basically threw himself over a barrel to get this position created. Um, I went back to be, whilst he was doing that, um, as the defence attaché over in Timor, I went back to 9FSB, stepped up again um, into a major's position as, a, as my last year captain, and I was the operations manager for 9FSB, which is out of That would have been good. Yeah, mate, it, it taught again. me systems. Yep. It taught me how to ap- apply a problem set and resolve it with systems. Because mm. I, I hadn't really had that resource management exposure. I hadn't really had that training liability exposure at a, at a larger level. Like, sure, you train your troops, um, but it was like, you know, training liabilities across an organisation. Well, how the fuck am I going to manage this? Well, I need to apply a systems-based approach to be able to, you know, resolve this without sort of, you know, by eating the elephant one bite at a time. Whilst um, making sure that you're daily and weekly actions are also congruent with yeah. what the higher level formation needed you to do as well. Absolutely. You can't just be doing shit off on a tangent. Yeah, absolutely. Congruency and, and alignment is really Ab- p- pivotal. Absolutely. Alignment with their resource requirements, mm. alignment with their training outcomes, aligning, you know, alignment with the culture of the organisation. All of those things and those pressures that were coming down. And, you know, some of our listeners will understand this, but the, 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 the CEO of a unit, they rely so heavily on the operations officer to be able to run the unit on their behalf. Like it's the OPSO that runs the day-to-day business, the week-to-week month month and you know the ceo is very much a leadership position and so they're focused on the leadership outcomes of an organization but they they also more and more are getting dragged into the administrative requirements um you know the sort of discipline stuff the you know the investigations and in business i call that so the dynamics of the ceo like yep. runs the vision he runs the, the vision mission values and like the the overall human dynamics of it all but the coo or the chief of operations yeah. they run the mechanics yeah, so that's absolutely. what you would have been doing there it's like right what, how do I implement or um, put steps in place to execute what the visionary, what the overall visionary or commander's intent is going to be? Yeah, it was. It so was, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's it was cool. a tough twelve months. Mm. Like it really was. It was. It was digging deep. Um, I felt out of depth. You know, quite a lot as you do as a young officer. That's you how gotta, you learn. Exactly. You got to feel comfortable. Again, you're like, oh sweet, I just got fucking promoted. Now I'm a brand new major, <laughs> and I'm back to the fucking start again. <laughs> <laughs> so true. And then, so from there, mate, you know, I consolidated my sort of my officership as a junior officer and started moving into the field ranks and picked up, um, you know, they came back and said, you can come over to, I actually got a posting to Land Force Design in Army Headquarters in Canberra. Um, and the Colonel... That would have just been an APN. Yeah, yeah. Whilst you were being yeah. sponsored over the It was, Timor, it yeah. was, while they stood up a, a secondment for me to go over to Timor. Um, went over there and it was for, it was for two, two months to prove the value of the position. Two days before uh, the two months was up, they said it's now six months. And then, and then, so some of the listeners will remember that Franny was pregnant day four um, of me being over in Timor. So she was kind of hanging back on, in Melbourne, back in oh, in, oh, Canberra, no, in, Canberra, in Canberra, sorry, yeah, yeah yes. back in in sunny Canberra in the middle of winter. Um, and so then she, you know, that six month period had come up. And we were sort of heading towards the end of that, and it was about seven days before that they sort of said, "Hey, mate, the position's been turned on full time." So that work that we'd put in and sort of those strategic level documents that were written to prove the prove the value. Mm. Um, that was turned on, and they said, we want you to go down and do TEDM. So we went to go back to the School of Languages and do a TEDM short course. Um, and I said, look, you know, I have to spend some time with Franny. You mm. know, she's a critical component to this. So mm. if she can work remotely, then then we'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and do that. Otherwise, I, I'm sorry, I can't commit to another f- two months away while my wife is heavily pregnant. Uh, and fortunately enough, she was able to come down. So, we so many other blokes that are listening to this and, like, just nodding their head going... Good call, Luke. Yeah. And, and, and luckily, a chain of command was being supportive yeah. whilst trying to stand up a very critical capability in the yeah. DCP as well. Yeah, absolutely. So like, there is competing priorities yeah. there. Yeah, and the leadership team 
for the most part, the leadership team at the senior level at least were absolutely fantastic and supportive, understanding that you're in a you are genuinely in a hardship environment. Like no one's shooting at you. You know, no, it's not it's not like your the threat profile is is sort of, you know, equal or, you know, greater than or even less than than anything like Afghan or Iraq, but it's just there are so many other pressures that apply, you know, in a in an environment where you're working overseas, you don't have access to all the resources, you don't have access to medical and you've got that family planning consideration to take into you know, mm. into account as well. Love it. You know what we're going to do off the cuff? Um, we're going to press pause there. We're going to use Wait. that as a little bit of a cliffhanger because I know you spent five amazing years in yes. Team War and you went through your own roller coaster ride over there. Yes. And then you've obviously just separated from the military and there's another roller coaster ride. Yeah, and now you're on this other fucking roller coaster with your Axon <laughs> shirt on. So there's so much more to, to you that I want to be able to like deep dive, mate. I've yeah. really, really loved you know, why you joined the military, what it was like with the, with the Scholastic and the military stuff, um, the being, being in ADFA, how you met this buffet as I, as I marched <laughs> you over the hill there and then sort of really flourished in your own military career. So I hope everyone really, really enjoyed that. That was a cracking episode of Axons Unleashed, mate. I can't wait to do episode two or version two of this particular story because you've got yeah. so much more to pass on. I'm, I'm genuinely looking forward to passing it on. You know, a lot of the stuff before was about sort of experience and, and that sort of stuff. What I, you know, I'm really excited about passing on some of the the struggles that I really had personally going mm. through that journey. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in a space where I want to share that with our clients. I want to share that with our community so that, you know, that they understand that they're not alone. They're not alone going through some of those struggles. So, yeah, yeah I'm really looking forward to that. Mate. I know the journey you've been on has been inspiring even over the last 12 months or yeah. so, yeah, 15, you, 16 mate. months since you come back from Timor. So there's so many other lessons learned that I don't want to skip over. So, yeah, yeah. Awesome. strap the fuck in for that one. <laughs> All right, thanks, buddy. That was great. Bye-bye. See you next time.